A wonderful good morning to all of you. Well, today we want to study scripture and we want to go into a subject that I call the prophetic word reveals God's plan. The prophetic word reveals God's plan. I want to start from the book of uh, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 14. The Bible reads here, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat, will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Galatians chapter 4 verse 4. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. And Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Let us pray. Lord our God, we want to thank you so much for your presence in our midst. Thank you, Lord, that you have come to be where we are. You still come. You still promise us, Lord, where we are gathering, that's where you will be. And thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, that we can be able to learn from your word, that you give us revelation and understanding and a deep insight in what your plans for all of our lives are going to be in eternity. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence. We pray, Lord, that you open up our hearts so that your word can find room inside of each and every one of us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amos chapter 3 verse 7 says, Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. That's a very powerful word. God has promised that not only does he make wonderful good plans, not only does he have a good plan for each and every one of our lives, and of course for humanity as a whole, but he also has promised to make this plan known to us. And that's why we are here. We are studying the Word of God. That's where we are finding the plan of God laid out for us so that we are not walking in darkness, but walk in the light of God. So this promise is true even today. It's not just an Old Testament reality, it's a New Testament reality that God will reveal his plans to the servants, those who are able to have a glimpse, an insight in the word of God. Now, we must understand that God's plan stands for eternity. God is not haphazardly trying to, uh, you know, uh, fix his plans when something seems to be going wrong. Like that happens very 
often in this world, you know, we, we make plans, you know, countries make plans maybe for the next five years, the next 10 years, and then along the way things are going wrong and we have to make uh, alterations to the plans that we have made some time ago. God is not like that. I mean, many of us probably we have uh, had plans for this or the other, and uh, sometimes we have abandoned our plans altogether, or we have completely changed them beyond recognition of what it used to be first. God doesn't do that. God has a plan because he is God. He knows all things. God's plan from eternity was to build his house. And when I say house, I don't mean a house like this one, or a house like your home, a house with bricks and stones, but uh, according to scripture, the house of God are the people of God, okay? Are the people who he wants to spend time with. You know, like when we talk about the house of David, we are actually talking about those people who were his successors, those who were continuing to upkeep that uh, tribe or that, uh, that uh, clan of the, of the house of, of, of uh, David. So clearly, when God makes plans, he makes plans for the people he loves. He makes plans for us who he has redeemed with his blood to be with him for eternity to come, to be part of his family. Okay, today we are gathering and we, we, we know that we are uh, the people of God, but then today we are gathering in so many different places. We are spread all around the world, and uh, yet we are one, one family, the family of God. Everyone who is redeemed by the blood of Jesus, every name that is written in the book of life belongs to the house of God, is part of the plan of God. And we all are destined to be walking in the presence of God Almighty. That's the plan of God. That's what God is preparing and building through everything that he does. From the very beginning, when God began to create, you know, the, the Bible often says, before the foundations of the earth or the world, God loved us. God planned for us. So in other words, the plan of God for you and me supersedes the plan of creation, like of this world. You know, uh, we, we may hear uh, statements that this world is uh, millions of years old. Well, time in the measurement of man does not make any, any um, you know, it's not a hindrance for God. God is not measuring time in years, in, in, in days or in, in, in months, but he is measuring his time by his grace and uh, by the intents that he has for this world. So God has a plan from the very start, you know, from the very onset, from eternity, God made this plan. And God could only plan that way because he knew the future. You know, if, if God created, I mean, if, if, if let's say you and I would have created a, a human being to say we want to have fellowship with that human being and not know that this human being is going to fail, then we would not have planned for that salvation, isn't it? But God is not like that. God knows every detail of our life. So when God created man and he gave him a free will, he also knew that he would 
use that free will to turn against God, to rebel against God, very unfortunately. But it's a reality. And because of that, God was able to make the plan for our salvation. And he makes plans in an amazing and powerful way that are encompassing every situation which would ever happen in this world. And that's what we must realize. So God plans, and he can plan well because he knows tomorrow. He knows the future. He knows the time when everything comes to a climax. And that's why we have the book of Revelation where we are seeing the climax of everything that God is doing, what God has been creating and what God is building up over time. And of course, we see that through the history of, of uh, mankind, God was revealing his plan again and again and again. And that's what we want to take time to study today. The many pieces of the puzzle of the revelation of God, you know, makes one plan. And that's why it is important for us to study because the scriptures are in different places, but they are making one whole picture, one whole plan that is revealed to us in his word. So let's understand prophecy has nothing to do with wishful thinking, okay? What we are being, you know, shown today as prophecy is very often just uh, playing games, simple, okay? It's not really understanding what God is saying. And you know, if you don't know what God is saying, then you are not a prophet, okay? I'm not, that is not... That is not to disqualify from you from the, from the uh, family of God. It's just saying that it's only God who is choosing those who he would reveal his plans to. And uh, that's why you have to have people who are the mouthpiece of God in order to pronounce the very plan of God to others. So not everybody can be a prophet, and not everybody who calls himself a prophet is a prophet. Because many people, they are just prophesying their wishful thinking, their hopes and dreams, you know, their, their personal ideas and ambitions, and that's about it. But true prophecy is giving us an insight in the plan of God. Now, let's understand, no prophet knows the whole plan of God. But every prophet is able to see one small piece that God is revealing and that God knows is meaningful for each and every one of us. So God is not hiding his intentions from us, but he gives us insights through his words. That's why we are here, that's why we are studying, because we must know the word of the Lord. We must understand the intentions of God, and the intentions of God are not hidden. They are here in his word, and they have been spoken of by the prophets of the Old Testament. And yes, they are being once again brought on the, on the surface, enlightened by New Testament, Testament prophets as well, and even through the preaching of the word. Now, when man fails to fulfill the very desire of God. Remember what I said in the beginning. God's plan from eternity is to build his house, his family. 
God's desire is to have each and every one of us whom he created with great love, wonderfully and beautifully well, as a companion with him, with God, our creator, our savior, and the spirit of the Lord for all eternity to come. And when that failed, and we know it failed because man turned away from God, man disobeyed God, that's when that plan was looking like a failure. But thank God, God's plan is not failing. God has a plan that goes beyond our failure. There's always a solution even when we have failed. Okay? Let's not allow the devil to discourage us because very often the, the, the devil tells us, you know, first of all, he is, 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 is coaxing us into doing wrong. And once we have done wrong, he says, now, you see, you have, you have missed the point. You're never going to come back from that. But the devil is a liar, you know, in any case. And we must understand that God has a plan, a perfect plan. And that plan, we must understand adequately. Okay? Now, Adam and Eve failed. And what does God do? God comes to man, despite man now going into hiding. The Bible tells us very clearly that when, when man came to visit, when, when God came to visit man, man went into hiding. Because man knew, I've done wrong. Adam and Eve sinned. They knew they had sinned. They had a bad conscience, something they never knew before. They had fear, something they never knew before. Because God didn't give man fear. Okay, fear comes from sin. Okay, fear comes from disobedience. And so they went into hiding, trying to find a place where God would not see them. Of course, that's a futile exercise. It can never happen. God sees everywhere and everything. And so God was calling out to man, Adam, where are you? Not that God didn't know. Where, God, where Adam was, but Adam needed to understand that he had dislocated. That's why God was asking him, where are you? You're not in the place where you're supposed to be. You have dislocated. And you know, dislocation brings pain. You know, when you dislocate one of your limbs, then you will be in great pain. Unfortunately, I've experienced that many times with my, with my foot, you know, my knee dislocated, and when, you, when that dislocates, hey, you, you are really in great pain. And that's what happened to Adam and Eve. They, they, they dislocated from the presence of God, and they were in pain. They were in fear. They were hiding. They were trying to cover up what they have done. And of course, all of our covering up will not be good enough. Now listen carefully. This is what God does. God now interrogated Adam, interrogated Eve, interrogated even the serpent. Okay? Unfortunately, one thing that he hoped that man would do, okay, it did not happen. Of course, God is all-knowing, so he knew that he would not do it, and that's why salvation became so necessary. Man did not ask for forgiveness. Okay? Man shifted the blame. So Adam said, no, no, God, it's not my fault. It's the, the woman that you gave me. So actually, he blamed the woman, he blamed God. Okay? 
and we are still doing the same thing. Have you noticed when you, are, when you have done something that is not right, you always try to find a way to shift the blame to somebody else? Okay? If you are honest with yourself, it's, it's very true, you know? Maybe you, you blame time, or you blame the circumstances, you blame the people around, or you blame somebody in the house. We always find somebody to blame. Okay, so Adam said it is the woman that you, God, gave me. So otherwise, that means it's the woman to blame, and it's God to blame, because God is the one who gave the woman. Am I right? The very woman that Adam wanted, okay, he says, it's not good to be alone. You know, I, I can't find any, anybody to fit my, my, my need. And God gave him that companion. And then now he says, she is at fault. Okay, God is listening carefully, and he's asking the woman, and the woman is doing exactly the same thing. Okay, she learned quickly. You know, bad habits repeat themselves very fast. I mean, if a bad habit happens among your children, you know, everybody else will pick it up very quickly. It's a fact, okay? You know, if one person is corrupt, why does it mean everybody has to become corrupt? It's a habit which other people pick up very quickly, you know? It's wrong, everybody knows it's wrong, but people still do it. Christians know it's wrong, but they also participate in it. So Eve does the same thing. She shifts the blame. She says, actually, God is not me. Okay, she doesn't have the chance to point to her, her husband because, of course, he had already shifted the blame to her. So she's shifting downwards. Okay, it's the serpent. Okay, and the serpent, where did it come from? It came from you. So, again... It's the creature and it's God, the creator. So it's you at fault. So Adam and Eve did not apologize, did not ask for forgiveness, did not see their sin as something so serious that they would need to ask God for forgiveness. They could have done that, and history would have taken a very, very different direction. I'm very sure of that. But now they didn't do it. But that did not mean that God was giving up on them. The Bible now tells us that God spoke to the serpent and gave the serpent a judgment. Because yes, the serpent was involved in the, in the act. But of course, the serpent was only used in order to bring temptation. Okay? If you are tempted and somebody is tempting you, it doesn't mean you have to give in to temptation. If you don't give in to temptation, then the one who has tempting you, been tempting you has done his, his or her work uh, in, in vain. Okay? Unfortunately, in this case, the temptation worked. So God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly. Okay? So understand Serpents did not always crawl on their bellies. That is as a result of a curse. Okay? Now, the Bible tells us that the, the serpent was a very crafty uh, creature. Okay? Very clever. And you can still see this even today. But now, the serpent is crawling on its belly, 
and it will eat dust all the days of their lives. Okay? That's part of the curse that God pronounced. Then God says something very important in verse 15, and this is now a revelation, a piece of prophecy, okay, that God reveals. So the first prophet is God himself, okay? So in, in case you have not known, the first prophet is God, okay? And he says, and I will put enmity, put enmity between you and the woman, okay? Now, we must understand that when God speaks, often his uh, words have more meanings than one. Okay, when, when God is speaking to the serpent, he's not just speaking to the serpent. Okay, as far as crawling on the, on the belly, that is for the serpent. But now he's also speaking to the one who was inspiring the serpent, and, the, and this is Satan. Okay, so God is saying, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Why, why is it that God says between you and the woman? Why not the man? Okay? Interesting, isn't it? And between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now we must understand that this is a powerful revelation, a powerful prophecy about the plan of God. Okay? Because here God says that salvation does not come from a man. Okay? In fact, even the Savior does not come from a man. The Savior comes from a woman. Okay? The Bible very clearly says there will be enmity between you, between you, that is Satan, and the woman, between your offspring and hers. Okay? So in other words, the offspring of the woman is Christ. Okay? Women do not have seats. It's the man who has seats. Okay? And yet God is speaking about the virgin which is going to bring forth the Savior because God himself is putting his seat into the virgin. So this is a prophecy. And this is what God is revealing to the very first people after their failure. So in other words, he says, okay, you have failed, but there is still hope in your life. So you understand God did not panic when his plan with humankind did not work out. But he had the situation fully under his control, his plan took care of everything that happened. And God revealed his plan of salvation as far back as to Adam and Eve. Okay, he told them, that one day the Savior would crush the head of Satan. Even so, he would strike his heel. Okay, what this means is, yes, the devil would, would have Jesus nailed to the cross. Yes, Jesus would die on that cross, but that would not change anything on the fact that Christ would defeat the power of Satan once and for all. And when he said he will crush your head, you know, the head is the center of our thinking, of our planning. And God just revealed in that way that when finally Jesus will do his work, 
the plan of the enemy will come to its end. It will not go anywhere whatsoever. So Adam failed, yet Adam became the first human prophet. You know, I just said that the, the first prophet was God himself. Okay, because he was speaking that word to man. He pronounced that word of his plan to man in a very cryptic form, in a very, uh, you know, uh, hidden form. And yet, seeing from Scripture, it becomes very clear what God was saying. So God actually spoke through his, uh, his word hope to the fallen people. And even Adam was, was now becoming the first prophet speaking the same word of salvation to his family. That's why, you know, there was an Abel who was able to follow the plan of God because God was able to reveal the plan of God to Abel, to Cain, and to all of the children of Adam. And some of these Revelations came as a word of prophecy that God himself delivered to Adam and Eve and Adam continued to speak about that and the hope they all still had beyond the failure, beyond the hopeless situation. So God allows man to see the bigger picture. Yes, you have failed. And, and you know, this is a message to all of us today. When you have failed, when I have failed, when we make a mistake, when we uh, get entangled with uh, the system of this world, when we get tempted and we fall, you know, we, we, we always seem to like run out of hope. But I want to tell you, God's plan doesn't end there, okay? God's plan goes beyond our failure, okay? The Bible is very, very clear that God loves us. He loved the world in a fallen state. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, when the world, when the world was still in, 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 in a great distance from God in sin and destruction. And the Bible is telling us, therefore, who, what can separate us from the love of God? Okay? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not even our failures. Because God has a greater plan. So, Scripture tells us that finally time came to pass, okay? What God promised in the book of Genesis such a long, long, long time ago finally came to pass when Jesus came. Paul is writing to the Galatians, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, okay? That was the very one he talked about even way back in the book of Genesis. So God sent his son born of a woman, okay, clearly referring back to the book of Genesis. Okay, there will be a struggle between Satan, the source of evil, and the woman because the woman would give birth to the Savior. And between your offspring and hers, okay, so God says, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of son. So understand that what went missing through Adam's sin, through Eve's sin, okay, that was the full rights of being sons of the living God. 
that is to be reclaimed again. That is being brought back again. And that's what God says here. When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of son, so that we be restored, uh, uh, put into the same place again where we fell off when, when sin came into this world. What a powerful word. Now we must understand that God's plan is so manifold. And I just want to give you a few scriptures. I, I can't give you all of them because there are tens and twenties and thirties and hundreds okay, of scriptures that talk about the Messiah, talk about Christ. But I want to give you just a few insights. You know, the Bible tells us in the prophet Isaiah, in that day, the deaf will hear the words of the scroll, and out of gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. That's Isaiah 29, verse 18. Isaiah 35, verse 5. The Bible says, then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. What a powerful promise. What a powerful revelation of the plan of God. There are many people who are living in blindness today. Okay, that's why God sent his son, the light of the world, into these worlds. Okay. In the book of Matthew, there's a scripture, you know, where the disciples come to him and they're saying, you know, disciples of John, should we wait for you? Is there, or is there another? And Jesus says, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Okay, if you go back to the Old Testament, and these two scriptures I've been reading here are part of this revelation of these prophecies that God has given us in the Old Testament. And Jesus is, is repeating these words to say, this is a sign of the coming of the Savior. The Savior is here. You don't have to wait for another one because what you are seeing is evidence of the Savior's arrival. Mark chapter 7 verse 37 says, people were overwhelmed with amazement. And they said, he has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. You know, this is what Jesus proclaimed when he was reading uh, the scripture in the synagogue of, of Nazareth. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to open the eyes, open the ears. You know, this is his mission. This is his revelation. And this is what he came to do. So we need to understand that God has been busy working according to what he has promised in the Old Testament. Jesus is the light of the world. Unfortunately, there are still blind people in the world. And I'm not talking about blind in the natural eyesight. There are many blind people who can't see the gospel 
shining very powerfully in this world. Okay? So God is opening both. He's opening the physical eyes. He's opening the, the closed ears. But he wants to do the same thing, and that has a spiritual connotation. He wants to do that same thing in a spiritual, on a spiritual dimension. Amen? Now let me take you to the book of Zechariah. You know, Zechariah lived more than 500 years before Christ. And the Bible reads here, actually the scriptures that I gave you, you know, uh, uh, first of all, the, the Genesis scripture is more than 1,200 or more than that years before Christ, okay? Much more, we don't know, several thousand years before Christ came. Then when we hear about Isaiah, he was living about 800 years before Christ came. Then now we have Zechariah, who lived about five, 600 years before Christ came. And the Bible says here in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a cold, the fall of a donkey. Now that's a prophecy again. God reveals to Zechariah, the prophet, this powerful insight that one day, the king would come to Jerusalem, okay? He would come to his city, and he would ride into Jerusalem, Jerusalem on a donkey, in fact, on, a, on a, the young of a donkey, that is a coal, the colts, okay? A very, very specific scripture. It's not something that is nebulous, okay? It's something very, very clear that God is saying here. Okay, so science is encouraged, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout, daughter of Jerusalem, see your king comes, your righteous and having salvation, gentle riding on a donkey. Now let's read from the book of Matthew, chapter 21, verse 1. Okay, now Zechariah gave a promise, gave a revelation, gave a prophecy. Matthew is the fulfillment of that prophecy. Chapter 21, verse 1, the Bible says, As they approached Jerusalem, and they came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied with her colt by her. Okay, so there's a, there's a donkey and there's a young of a donkey. Okay, untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. Okay? So what would you have said to somebody who is untying your, your donkey and even the, the young of the donkey? What are you doing here? And Jesus says, tell him the master needs it. Okay? And there was no argument. Actually, uh, if you read all the different scriptures concerning this, then you will see that this is what happened. The Bible says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of a donkey. Okay? It's to fulfill the word of prophecy. 
Okay, the word of prophecy gives you an insight. God said to the people, even five, six hundred years before Christ came, one day the Savior will come and ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, on the, on the cold of a donkey. That is the young one, okay? And if you read this further, it explains exactly what would happen on that day. The Bible says in verse 40, this took place to fulfill what was spoken uh, through the prophet. Said to daughter Zion, see your king comes, gentle and riding on a donkey, on the colt of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on, on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, you know that some, of, uh, uh, some groups of people do this every year before Easter, isn't it? This is what we call Palm Sunday, when people are waving palm branches, you know, and uh, they are putting the palm branches on the ground or they carry them around in remembrance of that day when Jesus was riding into Jerusalem. The Bible is very clear that God had promised his king to come to his people, okay? Zion was the place where, you know, the... the temple was established and Jesus would come into his own. Unfortunately, his own did not accept him. But it's amazing that even so, they did not accept Jesus as the son of God. They did not accept Jesus as the king of kings. When he finally came, they were all totally amazed. I don't know how they got that, uh, that powerful instruction of uh, shouting to the Lord Jesus Christ, your king comes. Okay? Hosanna to the son of David. This must have been a very, very clear instruction through the spirit of God because many people rejected Jesus. Okay? Only one week later, some of the people, maybe the same people, were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. But at that day, on that day, just before the, 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 the Lord Jesus died on the cross, he was riding in as the king, and he was recognized as the king, and the people were shouting, Hosanna to the king. They were shouting loud, Hosanna in the highest heaven. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now understand that God knows every detail. God is revealing that the king is coming. The king who was not recognized as the king, but he was still entering this city of Jerusalem as the king. Just a little later, he was nailed to a cross, and on top of that cross, it was written, the king of the Jews. So Jesus came to be king, 
And he is king. Even when he was a servant, he was still king. He was humbling himself to the cross. And the Bible says he didn't open his mouth when he was taken to the slaughter. That's amazing. But we must understand that God's plan will always work perfectly well. God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for our life as the church. God is not leaving us behind. And that's why time and again we need to, to study scripture so that we are having eyes, our eyes opened, so that we see the plan of God for our lives. If we cannot see the plan, we will not know when it is being fulfilled. But if we see the plan of God, then we can be able to understand when the plan has become reality. So what Zechariah prophesied became reality about five or six hundred years later in the book of Matthew chapter 21. Let me go a little bit further in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. The Bible says, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. Again, God gives us another piece of puzzle. Okay, we know Jesus was riding into Jerusalem, and as he was now in Jerusalem, he was not put on a throne, but he was put on a cross. He was nailed on that cross. He died on that cross. He shed his blood on that cross. But even Pilate had to recognize him as a king. Of course, he may have just meant it ironically. You know, he may just have made fun of him. You know, he calls himself the king of the Jews, and he wrote this up there on the cross, but it was written, the king of the Jews. And he is the king. Now, Jesus is saying, or the, the word of God is saying to us here in Zechariah, that God will have mercy with the house of David. Despite having rejected the Savior, despite having gone their own way once again, God would give them a spirit of grace and supplication. And one day, they will look at the Lord Jesus and they will recognize the one they have pierced. Now, you know uh, what happened uh, on this uh, time of crucifixion. The Romans uh, used the crucifixion very regularly, and because it was a slow kind of dying, there was a time somewhere in the afternoon when they said, okay, let's end the game, okay? And that's when they broke the legs of the people because, you know, they would stand on the legs trying to hold up and, 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 and hinder the, their system, their blood pressure to collapse. And that's why they decided, you know, uh, in order to kill the the, the criminals which were crucified, they would go and break their legs. And that's what they did to the one on the left and the one on the right of Jesus, and uh, they died. When they came to Jesus, they found that Jesus was already dead. 
Because Jesus did not die as a result of the crucifixion. He died as a result of the judgment of God. Okay? And the Old Testament prophesied that not a bone would be broken in the body of the Savior. Okay? Even in the Old Testament, there was the enactment of the Lamb of God, and they were instructed as you are bringing that Lamb and shed the blood and put the blood on the, on the, on the doorposts of your houses so that the judgment will pass you over. Okay? A very clear reference on what Christ did for us at the cross. Because the judgment is passing us over. It has judged Christ, not us. Amen? So, the instruction was very clear. Make sure that you don't break any bone of that lamb. Eat everything, but don't break any bone. Okay? Again, in the Psalms, that is a, is a prophecy which was given that not one bone would be broken in the body of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just read John chapter 19, verse 34. Instead, instead of breaking the bones, instead one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood, of blood and water. Okay, when blood and water is separated, that means that uh, is a sign that uh, Jesus was already dead for a while. Okay? But it also has a very great significance spiritually. Because, you know, Jesus said, that if we believe in him, as scripture said, streams of living water would flow from us. Amen? And the Bible tells us that blood and water flowed from the side of Jesus. Yes, and of course the water is the sign of life, the sign of truth. And it still flows together with the blood that gives us forgiveness and salvation. The Bible says the man who saw it has given testimony and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth and he testifies so that you also may believe these things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And another scripture says they have looked on the one they have pierced. Once again, God is revealing his plan. And God is telling even the people of Israel who had taken on themselves to crucify the Lord Jesus Christ. He tells them that one day I will give you grace and supplication. Okay? I will pour out on the house of David that spirit of grace so that you will be able to see Christ as your Savior, as your Messiah, as your Lord. That you will no longer reject him, but that you receive him as the Lord. <clears throat> so, brothers and sisters, all this is not just said for other people. It's a message to each and every one of us. It's a message of God's grace. It's a message of God's love. It's a message that God never gives up on us. No matter what wrong we have committed, God still loves us. God still wants to pour out his grace upon us. He is the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords, and he will never give up 
on any one of us. He's not like the kings of the earth who are using weapons to fight battles and uh, kill others in the process. In fact, Jesus is the, the total opposite because he wants all those who are dead to come alive again and find him and find refuge in Christ to finally come to the sonship that God always wanted us to experience. Isaiah 53, 7, a scripture that we know very well, says, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did, not, he did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his sharers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Even when he was accused, according to Matthew 27, verse 12, even when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. He did not justify himself. He did not say, you're making a mistake. I'm the Savior. I'm the Messiah. Please, give me a chance. No, he did exactly the opposite from what human beings do. People always blame others. Jesus said, okay, I'm here to be judged. I'm standing in the gap. I'm taking the load of guilt upon myself and I will die on behalf of all those who have sins. And that is the whole world. Now this is amazing. Because God shows us his plan and his plan is a plan of love. His plan is still working in your life and in my life. You see, many of us, we have been mistaken by some practices that we have seen. You know, we, we think a prophet will come to us and speak to us some very good word for ourselves. You know, that we are becoming rich and famous and whatever, you know. That's not the, the purpose of prophecy. The purpose of prophecy is revealing the plan of God. Revealing your future. Revealing what God has in mind with all of us as we are fulfilling our race that we have to run here in this earth. And God is busy working in each and every one of our lives so that we become the kind of people that will stand in his presence and give him praise and honor. People who are able to receive the grace and the mercy of God, but people who are not selfish, but will also give to others at the same time. Psalms, uh, Psalms chapter 16, verse 8 says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in the presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Praise God. Now, this is a, is a prophecy once again. Okay? It talks about not seeing decay. You know, the body of Jesus was never decayed in the grave. Jesus rose from the dead. He was walking as a living, the living one. And in that form, he was returning back to his father. 
So Jesus was very clear. You know, even in Psalm 49, verse 15, the Bible says, God will redeem my life from the grave. He will surely take me to himself. Praise God. And that's exactly what happened. Jesus rose from the dead. He never saw decay. He was only there for a short time. And when he rose, he was walking in the very life of God. Now finally, let me read another prophecy from the book of Psalms 110 verse 1. Okay? Uh, when, when God was speaking to the people of Emmaus, the disciples of Emmaus, and later to the disciples who were gathered uh, because they were uh, afraid of the Jews, they were in hiding. Uh, and Jesus came to them and he was opening them the scriptures of the Old Testament, okay? The prophets, the sounds, all of these who are testimonies of the life of Christ. And Psalm 110 says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Let's understand, Jesus was riding into Jerusalem as a king. He was nailed to the cross and it was written, the king of the Jews. He was raised from the dead and he's the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. And he's not coming to revenge, but he's coming to give us grace. When he was hanging at the cross, he didn't say, okay, wait until I come, you will see. I'll deal with you. No, he said, Father, forgive them, for they did not know what they are doing. Praise God. That is the love of our God. So the plan of God was going far beyond the grave. What God starts, he will also finish. From the grave, he came to resurrect and he came to be going back to the Father, you know, which we call the ascension. And he was asked to sit at the right-hand side of the Father, and that's where he rules and reigns. And the Bible tells us that God the Father said to the Son, you know, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Very interesting scripture. Now, this is what we see reflected in the New Testament in the book of Matthew, chapter 22, verse 41. While the, the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked him, what do you think about Christ? Whose son is he? Okay? You know, when, when we read Christ in the Hebrew or in the Aramaic, it was Messiah. Okay? So Jesus was saying, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. And he said to them, how is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? Okay? A very interesting puzzle. Now the Pharisees could not answer. They had no answer to that. But the answer is clear, you know. Yes, David called him Lord because he is his Lord. He recognized the Messiah as his Lord. And yet, Jesus actually would be born as the son of David. But of course, David, 
who was promised that he would have somebody ruling on his throne for eternity to come, did also not fully understand what God was actually saying in this prophecy, in this revelation. Because Jesus was the eternal Christ. He came into the flesh so that he could be able to save us from our sin. Okay? This is the plan of God. And so, brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you. Read the scripture, not just anyhow. You know, not just to, to get yourself, uh, you know, encouraged in one way or the other, but understand that scripture lays out the wonderful plan of salvation from eternity past until its final fulfillment when we all come into the presence of God Almighty. And even then, the plan of God will not be finished because the plan of God is actually only beginning when finally all of these happenings here on earth will be completed. Okay, because don't forget, at the very beginning, God created us so that we would be with him as the sons of the living God, as the family of God. And when we are finally united with God, after coming out of these turbulent happenings in this world, after, you know, going through the valley of the shadow of death, after facing temptations, after facing sinful uh, experiences, you know, after falling many times, and uh, after receiving forgiveness and salvation from the Lord Jesus Christ, now we are arriving at our destiny. And our destiny is not heaven. Our destiny is God's. Okay? Our destiny is our father. Okay? When the prodigal son was uh, far away from the Lord, from his, from his father rather, then he, he came to himself and he says, I wish I could just be a servant to my father. He was not longing for the house of his father. He was not longing for all the the goodies in his father's house. He was longing for his father, okay? I will say to me, my father, I've sinned. And you know, when he came back, the father ran to embrace him. And let me be very clear. God, the father, is waiting for all of us to be completed. You know, the many things that we are passing through, the ups and downs in our lives, the battles, the failures that we all experience. Because the Bible says we are all going astray just like sheep. Not one of us is righteous. And yet God is willing to receive every single one of us. God is rejecting no one who will come to him. In fact, the Bible tells us that he's not delaying his coming because he wants everyone to have an opportunity to come to salvation, come to know him, come to our original intent to be sons of the living God so that he can give us glory and honor and praise, okay, together with the work that he has done. So let me, under, let me make this very clear. God is busy working these things out. And we are in the middle of God's work, okay? Looking back, maybe we are looking back to thousands of years, looking forward, we don't know how many more years are going to come. 
But one thing is clear. It will come to its conclusion. Okay? When we read the book of Revelation, we'll see that the plan of God will come to its conclusion. It will be fulfilled in every detail. Hundreds and thousands of, of, of scriptures are pointing to what God had planned. And they were revealed to human beings like you and me. Okay, that's why God makes us hear his word, makes us understand the revelation, the prophecy of God, which is in the word of God, and which he brings to us so that we are not without hope, but that we know we have a great future. But when finally all this is concluded, a new plan begins, okay? of which we know very, very little. There are only just some small pointers here and there. But God has a plan. The Bible tells us that we will rule with Christ forever and ever. What that ruling in, entails, what it includes, we don't know. There are many things that are yet to be revealed. There are many things that God has spoken of and you know, today God has given us his word because we're still in this world. We're still struggling with failure. We're still struggling with sinfulness. We're still struggling with temptations. We are still feeling down and out so many times. You know that today, depression is one of the biggest problems in our world. Just recently, I heard of a, of a report of a research that was done uh, after the COVID, uh, you know, uh, the first year of COVID uh, was completed, that it led people into depression to a very, very high percentage. Many people today are depressed. They don't know the way forward. They don't know what to make out of life. You know, the kind of uh, expectations they used to have when they were uh, young and grew up and, you know, maybe they have had their achievements in college or university and then maybe in the job, all of a sudden it has come to be meaningless because COVID has destroyed the dreams and the hopes. Thank God, Jesus is greater than COVID. Thank God, Jesus is the name above all names. Okay, and COVID is also just a name, okay? So Jesus is greater than the name of COVID. So that's why we need to cling to Jesus. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the one who has done everything according to his perfect plan. And he will complete each and every one of us according to his plan, provided we allow him to guide us. Provided we are putting our hope and our trust and our faith in him, God will not fail. We may fail, he doesn't. If you should ever be of any doubts, just read the scriptures. You know, go through these scriptures I've given you today. You see, God comes even to Adam and Eve after they have sinned, after they have fallen, and he talks to them about salvation. And let me tell you, if you hear a voice after you have failed in one way or the other, and that voice tells you, hey, you are finished now. There's no hope for you. Then you must know that this is the voice of the devil. This is a prophet of doom that speaks to you, okay? 
God does not speak like that. God gives us hope. God gives us a future. God has a good plan for us. We like these type of scriptures without sometimes really fully understanding what they mean. So God has a plan for us. So do not allow depression to put you down. Do not allow failure to give up, to make you give up. But keep your eyes upon Jesus. The one who has started a good work in you is also able to finish it all the way. Amen? So trust in him. He has spoken to us time and time again in order to assure us of his love, of his goodness, of his grace. And that grace is not coming to us in vain. May God bless you. Amen. Let us pray. Lord our God, we are so grateful that we can serve you, our creator, our redeemer, our savior. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you time and again take us into a journey of making us recognize and realize that you love us beyond all failures, beyond all sin, beyond all falling. You are always stretch out your hands to lift us up. Thank you, Lord, that your plan of salvation will flourish in your hands. Just like you have brought salvation to us at the cross of Calvary and you have cried out, it is finished. Because finally you had brought salvation to all of mankind. So Lord, you do your work in each and every one of us individually and you continue, Lord, to speak even to those who are yet far away. Lord, help us that we are not forgetting those who are still living in darkness, who are still being depressed, who are still far away from you. Because, Lord, you didn't just come for us. You came for them also. And so, Lord, help us that we reach out to those people who may be depressed, who may not have hope, who may not know what their purpose is in this world. Lord, give us the grace to reach out and bring people into your kingdom so that they may be joined heirs together with us and together with Christ of all that you have prepared for those who are your children, who are your sons. We thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for the wonderful word of assurance that you give us, the wonderful word of hope, the clear and direction that you give us that we are going into a bright future where we are going to meet with you, our Father in heaven, because you sent Jesus Christ to take us to the Father. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that we are making progress on our way, walking with Christ, 
coming towards our destiny where we meet with our heavenly Father. To you be the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.